it is a, a privilege to, to speak to you uh, there at NBC. And certainly um, I'm always amazed. I'm, 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 I'm a guy that's always, I'm amazed at my own cell phone, you know, that we can make a phone call from the car. And, and, and now I'm amazed that, you know, we're having a chapel uh, by Zoom, but uh, all of us know about those of us, even that are not as up to date as others are in the, the current culture and, and the way to do things. I'm just blessed that we could be here together like this. And it does work most of the time, uh, even uh, remotely. So let me share with you um, my thoughts today. And I'm uh, all just, I know there's a few members of my church even here. This is a new series that I'm starting this Sunday. And I thought I just, uh, I have revamped it some for this time, but uh, we're going to be talking about running the righteous race out of Hebrews 12 and 13 uh, over the next uh, couple months heading into summer. And so uh, this morning, um, and this will be my first outline on Sunday as well, uh, we're going to talk about running with endurance out of Hebrews 12, 1. And let me read that for us uh, this morning. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. When when we lived, uh, well, in Denver and then on our previous pastorate in Visaya, California, we noticed early on, and we've noticed this in all three of our children's life, and so you try to do this, you try to help your children do the things they're good at, that our middle daughter, Shaylee, was pretty decent in track and field. Uh, and uh, I remember, I think she was in sixth or seventh grade and she was just getting started. And there was some kind of city track meet for, you know, 12 and 13 year olds. And Shady was showing some ability to compete pretty well, but we didn't know how good she'd be. And eventually in Denver, uh, she competed for the 100 meter finals in Denver in the state of Colorado, which is pretty good. So she had some athletic ability. But but there was a race that she entered there in that Visalia, California community, um, the 400 meter race that she had never run before. Now, most of you know me and know how what I look like. Most of you would say I am not a guy that wins races. <laughs> I'm not a runner. I never have been. Um, and so, but I knew a little bit about track and field. So I, I tried to tell my daughter, Shaylee, I said, okay, Shaylee, you, you've never ran 400 meters. So this is what you need to do. I said, you need to hold back. Okay. So when, 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 when the, when the gun starts and there's about 12, 13, 14 girls that were running this race, all the same age, when it starts, just hold back. Don't, don't go full out because the races I've seen, especially people that have do it for the first time, they, they, they burn themselves out in the last 100 yards. They have nothing left. And so I said, hold back. And then about 100 yards, kick it in. Just run as fast as you can. Well, my daughter took me literally. And she starts out, she's barely running. And she's running around the track. And, and Sherry's next to me. We're at, the, we're at the finish line, which was the starting line, of course, at a 400-meter track. And, and she, she is last place. And I know she's faster than that. I, I knew that some of the girls, this was their first race too, and some went out ahead, but she is so far back. I said to Sherry, there's no way she's going to catch up. There's no way. I mean, and so at about a hundred yards to go, I think she heard me and she was in her mind trying to follow my instructions. She kicked it in. 
And I know some of you uh, probably have watched your children compete or maybe maybe uh, uh, do a music recital or whatever it is. Those are nerve wracking moments. I mean, you talk about butterflies and she's so far behind. But I experienced an ecstatic joy that I've never had in all my life. As, as, and she was dead last. And she had so much left in the tank. She took off like a rocket. And, and, and I remember I am not an overly emotional person um, at athletic events. I can get a little more emotional, but I remember the absolute excitement yelling for my daughter to catch the, the person. And she came screaming down the last hundred yards and she was running so fast. I remember at one point, I didn't know I was doing this, but I was jumping up and down, um, yelling, run, Shaley, run. And, and there was this person right next to me <laughs> that was looking at me like, this guy's lost his mind. Um, and I'll never forget screaming, run, Shaley, run. And she did catch the first place person. It was a virtual tie at the tape, and we were right at the tape. Um, they actually said she got second, which some of you may have also experienced this as sanctified Nazarenes. But when your children are competing, you maybe lose your sanctification a little bit. And, and I didn't protest too loudly, but I believe my daughter won that race. Um, so uh, it always reminds me that all of us are in a race. And as uh, we, I know that there are theologians on this, uh, on, on this chapel that are way smarter than me, but some think it was Paul that was writing uh, Hebrews. Uh, we're not sure, but we know that it was written to Christian Jews in Rome, in this big metropolis city, and they had cultural pressure. There was pressure from that pagan culture. There was pressure now from this Jewish culture. Many of them were being converted. They had cultural pressure. We have cultural pressure today. I know you at NBC, you've experienced cultural pressure. I know today that we as a Christian university uh, are experiencing unprecedented changes in America, unprecedented uh, uh, pressure in the area of uh, Christian universities and what we say and how we say it and what we teach and being careful and being culturally relevant. And I know as you employees and, and leaders of our great college, I just want to encourage you today to run with endurance. It says again, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd. In the NIV, it says cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. If you come into Kansas City First Church and you come in the, the very front doors right here on State Line, immediately in, in, in the first thing you see is what we call the, the tree of life. And uh, a man that a few of you may know, he's actually moved down to Florida now um, after the passing of his wife, David Hayes. Uh, a great man of God in our church, and now he's, he's moved away, but he built this tree of life years ago, and now there are 250 to 300 names of people that have gone on to glory. It is, it is a wonderful, wonderful testament to our church, and when people come in, I notice visitors most often go 
directly to, and, and or they're trying to see who all those names are. And those names are people that are in eternity that have lived a life of faith. We follow the faith of other people. Um, all of us do. All of us are on a journey ourselves, but still all of us, all of our days, we look to different people of faith. I remember in my Christian journey in my own life, not growing up in a Christian family, that when I first got married to my wife, she had a grandmother by the name of Violetta Price, longtime Nazarene family. As a matter of fact, Violetta, uh, early on before Nazarene came into her life, they were part of a, of a denomination called Fire Baptized. I mean, you're really serious if your church is called Fire Baptized uh, Holiness. And, and but, but I got to know her grandma when she was in her upper 80s. And, of course, uh, Violetta died at 100 years of age. And I remember as I would sit down and talk to her about the life of faith, and she knew I was called to be a pastor. as a very young man, very young pastor. And she would encourage me. I remember there are moments that I'd be so encouraged by, by her testimony and her life of faith. And as she headed in to her mid nineties, having, she would say, I have no fear of death. I'm so looking forward that I would be so inspired that I'd find a, a place to go pray and ask God to give me a faith like Violetta Price. We remember, remember heroes of the faith. I think of our current setting here at NBC, and, and, and I am friends with Dr. Harold Graves, uh, and, and I have been privileged to be on the board, I think, eight or nine years, maybe 10 years after being elected at one of the General Assemblies. But I have recognized our president's life of faith. I have recognized his can-do, kingdom-minded attitude. He has a kingdom minded attitude. And I would ask us today in our own lives and as representatives of a great university, are we kingdom minded? I will proudly say I have served on other university boards and I'm on the Mid-America board right now and am proud of that. But I have said and proudly say NBC is uniquely gifted to train pastors. And now as a pastor that's also much older in my mid-50s, I see the need of our university and, of course, other universities to raise up godly, gifted, and equipped pastors for our denomination. Matter of fact, I would say is the greatest need that we have in our denomination. And we know even at NBC, we have people that have gone on before us, great men and women of faith. I believe this great cloud of witnesses. I believe they are cheering us on. And as I exclaimed from the, from the, the sidelines of that track, uh, you know, now 15 years ago, run Shaley run. I would encourage all of you on this call, uh, all of us in the church, don't stop. Don't stop running. Keep going. And then it says, let's let us strip off Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. People will notice, uh, and it's always been a, a, a narrative of my life. I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I had no church background until I really stepped into the Church of the Nazarene as an older teenager. So I didn't understand the ways of the church. And one of the things that I have not experienced, I didn't experience in my life, is this habit of fasting over spiritual things. So um, the first time I've fasted in my life years ago, 
was very, very difficult for me. And I remember in one California church that we pastored, I encouraged and challenged uh, during a revival time that our church would would fast and we would sign up for a day of fasting. And I, as the pastor, of course, uh, wanted to do that. And I remember my my first experiences were, with fasting were incredibly difficult. Uh, to be honest, they still are. I mean, um, fasting is fasting. You, you get hungry. Um, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure figure that out. And I remember one day uh, in our church in Blythe, California, uh, Sherry was the secretary, my wife, and I had an upstairs office. And at that time, we only had Shauna, our oldest, and she was about five years old. And um, she would come to work with us and we'd be working and I'd be upstairs in my upstairs office. And but I was fasting all day. And like most of us, I, I get through breakfast. I don't need breakfast. Noon, I'm I'm, I'm doing well, but about four o'clock I start hurting, you know, I want some food. I'm, I'm dying. And, 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 um, I, I, I've told this story many times and, and, uh, um, I love Oreo cookies. I think Oreo cookies are from Jesus. Uh, I really do. And, and my little daughter was eating Oreo cookies that day and she was coming up and down the stairs there. And I remember, um, as I was headed down to see Sherry about four o'clock, so hungry that Shauna, there was about a third of an Oreo cookie on one of those steps. And I remember being so hungry that I began to actually bend down and I wanted to pick it up off the ground and fighting this hunger. Oreo cookie had been something that almost became a sin to me uh, because I love Oreo cookies. By the way, I've told this story so many times. Truly, Dr. Harold, you can come down. I have three or four packages of Oreo cookies that my congregation has given me through this last fall and, and this last winter. And so I, uh, it is something that can trip me up uh, if I'm trying to fast. Secondly, don't get tripped up. Um, I think it's okay to say this to NBC staff, uh, leaders of my congregation. I know we're holiness people. We, we can still get tripped up. I recently, I think I reread it, but I've read it before, read the C.S. Lewis um, classic screw tape letters. I just got through reading that. And it reminds me today to remind all of us of the small but powerful influences of the, in the enemy. In our race of life, sometimes it's the small things that trip us up. You know, it's the half eaten cookie or it's the it's the it's it's the temptation in so many different areas. I believe all of us are called to run a righteous race. I love the fact that we're a holiness university. I love the fact that we're a holiness denomination. I'm from a non-Christian family. I'm from a pagan background. Um, my father, who was saved in, in college church in 1980, he was a, a first-generation Nazarene. We'd never seen anything like it. We stumbled into the holiness work. It was the largest church in town, of course. My family needed a holiness message. I still need a holiness message. I, be I believe the whole world needs the holiness message. And we all agree, I think, today. We've progressed in a good way in our work. It's not a legalistic it's not a hard shell kind of thing. It's not something that, that, that we lay heavily on people, but it's something that we continue to speak of under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that there are things in a person's life that can trip you up. In the NIV, it says, be aware of the entangling sin because sin grows. 
I remember um, until eighth grade, my family lived in DeSoto, um, which is pretty, you just head out K-10 off of where you all are over there in Lenexa and you're in DeSoto in about 10 minutes. We grew up there. Uh, I grew up there with my mom and dad before they got a divorce in, in, in about around 1980. And I remember as a, as a boy, about 10 years of age, my parents one time bought a little baby alligator at a pet store in Olathe. And we thought it was the best thing ever. And, and, and my parents were really young parents uh, and, and they bought this little alligator and we had it in a little cooler, a little uh, uh, foam cooler in our kitchen. And this little baby alligator would be swimming in there. And this is this is we probably you can't buy an alligator today, but we're talking the 70s here. And we love that little alligator and we would feed that little alligator. And you know what the little alligator did? It grew up <laughs> and it was starting to jump almost out of that out of that thing. And I remember we put a pencil down there and that little alligator got to where it would almost bite that pencil in two. And, and it was getting bigger. And I just remember I, I had people would come over to my friends would come over. I got an alligator. And I remember that um, one time we, we left for a weekend and we went to grandma's house uh, for a weekend. We got back and that little alligator was gone. And my mom and dad told us that somehow it had disappeared. I know what happened. I think it got put in the Kansas River uh, some way because alligators grow up. And, and, and that's a silly story to remind all of us that sin grows. Sin grows in our people's lives. Sin can grow in our life. Sin is still a problem even in the church. Sin hinders our witness and it hinders our race. And I know to whom I'm talking to today. I know that. All of you are great, uh, great staff and members of a great university. I'm not saying you have sin in your life, but as I'll tell my congregation on Sunday, be careful of the sins that so easily entangle us. And they might be different. I know that I have uh, from my past life entangling kind of sins. If I creep open the door on those in my life, I'm in trouble. Not only is my witness hindered, my whole life's in trouble. And so even though we profess an experience of entire sanctification and a cleansing, I also know that there, all of our life, my belief is, and I, I, you know, the, theologically we can debate this, I believe there's a steady knock at my door at times of what was, and I don't want to go back there. Uh, I don't want to get tripped up. And finally, to, to come to a close, it says, let us run with endurance, the race God has set before us, running the race set before us. Well, like all of you and being on the board at NBC, um, we watched this last year as Dr. Graves has led us uh, to what is his retirement and what is his, um, you know, stepping out of the leadership of NBC. And of course, as a friend, and as uh, I would call Dr. Graves a mentor and now a neighbor, of course, um, we've had the greatest leader and he has run a race before us that has reminded us of how to run a righteous race. And I know that in a few weeks there will be a baton handed to Dr. Sherwood and we're pleased about that. But what you have experienced and believe me, I know I have not experienced it like you all have experienced. You have experienced a race that has been very rugged the last several years and moving from, from Colorado Springs. Um, a plan that took faith and endurance. As 
a board member and a supporter of your college and of the college, I just want to say thanks for your endurance. I don't believe we even as board members know how much endurance it has taken. I was part of the process. Of course, I was pastoring DFC and I saw what we were dealing with. And there were times as a as an observer and even one part of the process, I didn't know how we're going to get this done. It's going to take God's doing, but it's also going to take our president and you as staff and leaders and even as a board, we're going to have to great, have great faith, faith that endures. And as you know, God doesn't always show us the path. He just says, keep walking or keep running. He doesn't always show us the path, but we are faithful to keep running. Um, personally, we also know that the enemy at times can lead us off the path. I haven't seen that at NBC. At no time have I seen in my last, I think, seven or eight years being part of the college, have I seen anybody um, that I know of take the wrong path. We have been faithful, even not knowing what's around the corner, to keep uh, to keep running, you know. And I will say just quickly, this last year with COVID, uh, even for our own local church, Susan and others that go to my church realize We've tried to find the murky middle of all this, try to invite people back to church in person, still doing the online. You guys have done that better than most universities have done. But really, this has been a trying year. Somebody and I and I don't I don't uh, mean to be so um, bombastic about this, but somebody when this first started, one of our staff members asked me who in the world when we, we started having church with no people and I was just on a screen. And, and we were so perplexed of why this is happening. And somebody on staff said, Pastor, who in the world could have dreamed up such a scenario that one week you have this many people at church and the next week you have nobody who could have dreamed that up? And I just blurted out the devil, <laughs> which I think is accurate in some ways. It sounds archaic today in our in our society. It sounds like, oh, really? I really believe that to be true. I believe the enemy has come in like a flood against the church. I believe the enemy has come in like a flood against the universities, the Christian universities in our, in our nation. And I, of course, I speak for Mid-America as well. But you know what our pet task is, is to keep running. Stop, don't stop running. Run with perseverance. God has a plan for all of us personally, for our college. Let me close quickly. I don't want to take up too much time with a story of my own personal life. Years ago, as I said, I wasn't raised as a Christian, wasn't certainly raised as a Nazarene. And um, I, I was basically recruited for Nazarendom by the football coach, uh, Gordon de Graffenried, who passed away uh, less than a year ago, um, who recruited me to play football at Mid-America um, out of Olathe South High School. And um, even in college, I had no thoughts about being a pastor um, that was foreign. I didn't know pastors even got paid. I was one of those people that would say, what do you do the rest of the week, pastor? Some of those pastors have had that said to us. Um, I had no idea. I had no calling. I always wanted to be a policeman. I really felt like that was God's call in my life. And I was a sheriff's deputy uh, before I was a, 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 a pastor. But I remember in 87, a month before Sherry and I were to be married, I had interviewed in um, three or four um, police stations or uh, places in the metro area trying to become a police officer. And but there was one job that I really wanted, and I won't even to this day say which one that was, because I washed out. They say I was 
for some reason uh, that even today, I don't know why they didn't want me to be a police officer. And I was already in process with a couple other places, but this was the one I wanted. I actually would say, this is the one that I think God wanted me to have. And of course he didn't. I remember getting the, the phone call about that. And I remember uh, I was going to graduate in a few days from Mid-America. I remember calling Sherry, my fiance. Uh, she had another year at Mid-America and she needed me to have a job. Uh, and I, I thought I was going to have a job. I was crushed. I was crushed. I remember being one of those things in my life. And I was really a new Christian. And I remember um, I was living at home at that time. And Sherry was living in the dorms uh, for she had another year. Um, and I, I was just finishing up college. But I called her over to our house, to my house, mom and where my dad and Barbara lived. And I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, this is a job that I felt like God would have. I thought I was going to be a Christian Christian cop. Um, still much, still today, I'm very supportive of police officers, of course. But I remember telling Sherry, my fiance, and of course, she had more faith than I did because she was raised in this Christian home. I said, you know what? I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed, but I'm going to go in my bedroom here. I, I was in the basement bedroom of, of uh, my dad's house. Uh, and there was a, she was in the living room. I said, I'm going to go in there and pray. And it was in the basement. And I remember a formative time in my life as a Christian that led me to be a pastor. I had no thought of being a pastor, but I went in that room by myself and I began to pray to God that he would show me a plan because I thought this was his plan and it had been upended. And I remember as a young Christian, I wouldn't even say I was sanctified. I, I know I wasn't at that point, that God overwhelmed me in that room in a way that I have never forgot with such assurance that some days I still long for today, uh, knowing all that I know, you know, 34 years later that it was going to be okay. And it impressed upon my brain. I've got another plan. I've got another plan. And how could I know that that plan for me was now to be in 30, uh, 33 years of full-time ministry? God has a great plan, you guys. And, and he has a plan for NBC. Um, he has a plan for you personally. He has a plan for our churches. What we have to do is run with endurance and pace ourselves, but in all of this, have a plan that we're going to keep on following Jesus with endurance. So God bless you. Thanks for letting me talk to you today. And Dr. Graves, whenever you want me to pray, I will. But God bless you, NBC. And I don't speak for our board. I'm just a, a, a board member. It's an honor for me to be a board member and a pastor that supports NBC. I'm so proud of NBC. I, I could talk for another 10, 20 minutes about how proud I am of NBC. And if you're asking me, I believe, and I'm, I'm going longer here, Susan, I'm sorry. I believe NBC is the right model for our denomination going forward. And I'll stand by that. Uh, I'll stand by that. God bless. 